everyone. Hope you've had a great week. Thanks for tuning into our podcast and hope it encourages you, inspires you as you go about your week. Here's today's message. Let's pray and we're going to look at God's Word. Lord, we just thank you so much that your Word, just your Word, the Bible, that it is living and active and that it is sharper than the sharpest double-edged sword. That's how powerful your word is. And Lord, those of us who know you here in this place today, we, we declare that like we're not ashamed of the message of the good news of Jesus. We're not ashamed of it. It's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. We know that, Lord. And so as we come and we gather around your word, we know that as you work here, you will speak to us. And we don't need to have a good speaker. (laughs) We don't need to have any other conditions other than the spirit of the living God present with us, speaking through his word. That's all we need. And we know that as you do that, you will change our hearts and our lives in whatever ways we need to be changed. For everyone who listens today, everyone who will listen in the future to podcasts or We pray, Lord, that you'd speak to us, not through me, through your word, please. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. We are back to Paul, focus, perseverance, personified. You know, every so often, um, what did I say? Oh, exemplified. Even I mixed it up, I'm sorry. Every so often I've had a, you know what it's like to have a bad day, like a really bad day, so... One of those days when, when everything just seems to go wrong. When I was young, um, between about 10 and 14 years old, I, I did a, an early morning paper round. Now, that's what they were called back then. And I know now the few people who do get the paper delivered now, someone comes around in a car and delivers it. And it's in a plastic bag and all that sort of stuff. Well, that's not the way it used to be. I would leave home around 5 o'clock in the morning, Monday through Saturday, there were no papers on Sunday back then. Um, I'd ride my bike to the Vermont News Agency in Baronia Road, and then I'd load up. You, you had these big um, racks on the back of your bike. Uh, I'd load up a hundred or so papers, and back then it used to be the Sun and the Age and the Australian and the Financial Re- Review, and then the Herald. If you remember, the Herald used to be delivered in the afternoon, but the Sun was in the morning, and then I'd ride the streets delivering them. I can still remember my streets, you know, Morack Road and Kalinga Avenue, Kalinga Drive, and, uh, all of those places, I'd, I'd ride the streets and deliver them. And then you'd get home sometime, depending on how the morning went, a bit after seven o'clock in the morning, and then get ready for school. And you get used, when you're doing that, you get used to getting up early, and it was okay in summer, but then on a cold, windy, raining morning in the middle of July it was something else and you'd always try and survive it but I remember some of those mornings and it happened far more than once and it just went for everything just went from bad to worse like not just one thing so you'd drop the heavy bike somewhere and you'd just have papers scatter everywhere all over the the footpath and then they'd be blowing everywhere and they'd be getting wet and people would be wanting to complain later when you get complaints the next day about oh I got a wet paper and your hands and feet would be 
frozen solid. You couldn't even feel them. Then, then you'd get a, a flat tire on your bike. And then, then, you know, like sometimes a dog would, like a ferocious dog bite, just to finish it off. You know when things just get bad. And, I, and I've had seasons too, not just with bad days, where everything went wrong, like one after one after one after one after another. You know, I have a guy, not in this church, I have a guy burst into church while I'm speaking and he threatens me. Um, and then it's, it's disturbing. There are people screaming and crying and, 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 and then days later, it's only days later, Deb and I go and we go and we take Haley and Jake, our then two kids, just for a routine ultrasound for Deb and the baby that she's carrying and we find out that the baby has died. Um, and we're not expecting that at all. She's um, halfway through her pregnancy. So the doctor then says, well, look, um, go home. He, he gives us the news. Go home. And he said, I'll get your doctor to ring you straight away. Is just wait for the phone call and then we'll get you into hospital to, you know, because Deb needed medical care pretty much straight away. So we go home. We're reeling from all of this. Um, and I'm thinking, the doctor's going to ring, the doctor's going to call. So the phone answers, and back in, this is when we used to have landlines. I know we're old, you know, and you couldn't see who was ringing you. And so I'm thinking, it's the doctor, it's the doctor. So I pick up the phone, and it's not the doctor. It's, um, it's someone from the church who's in contact with this guy who's threatened me last week, and he's telling me that this guy wants to kill me now, and he's going to come to church this week, and he's saying he's going to come to church and kill me in front of everyone, and, 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 like, and he's going to burst into our church service again. And he's telling me, oh, listen, I'm trying to say, well, 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 hold on. I can't process this right at the moment. And then, you know, we, meanwhile, like that very same day my dad is in intensive care in the Peter McCallum hospital having just had like major surgery to remove his uh, like all of his stomach and, and, and several other parts of his esophagus and everything because he's, he's got cancer which ends up killing him a few months later and then a few days later after Deb has had the procedure that she needs to have then there are after effects from that and she ends up then a few days later in off the charts pain and an emergency trip back to hospital, back in hospital. Like, you know what I mean? One of those seasons when it's just wrong, wrong, wrong. You ever had a bad day? Or a month? Or a year? Or, or life? Wrong, wrong, wrong. Too hard. Too much opposition, too much angst. This guy did. Look at this guy. He crashed his truck and it was carrying thousands of copies. Who knows, like, because things, times have changed again. Who knows what Rojet's thesaurus is? Put your hand up if you know what a Rojet's thesaurus is. See, look at our age. Rojet's thesaurus, you know, don't you? Similar words. You know what a thesaurus is? We actually have similar words. You can't Google it back in those days. You look it up in a book. Well, he had thousands of copies of Rojet's thesaurus and when he crashed his truck, he lost the entire load. And the witnesses, do you know, the witnesses were stunned and they were startled and aghast and taken aback 
and stupefied and confused and shocked and rattled and paralyzed and dazed and bewildered and mixed up and surprised and awed and dumbfounded and nonplussed and flabbergasted, astounded, amazed, confounded, astonished, overwhelmed, horrified, numbed, speechless and perplexed. (laughs) Wrong, wrong. You know when everything's just wrong. And I can't help wondering if it's about to go wrong for these guys as well. Look at them. I think they're not far off at going wrong. But friends, you know, like it's worse than building sites and early morning paper rounds in the middle of winter. And it's even, it's even more serious than bad days or bad runner days. Life, quite frankly, is so hard. It's hard over the long haul. And we go through, some of us, we go through unspeakably hard seasons. And some people, what would you think? My observation is that some people seem to get a lot more hard served up to them than others. Everyone gets some. How do we make sense of that? And especially now if we're back into this series of Paul. We've been doing it through the year interspersed with other things. Paul focused, perseverance exemplified. And we've seen, if you've been here, you've seen this this legend, the Apostle Paul in action. And you'd be interested, wouldn't you, to know know what he said. And, And he said this right after he wrote about hardship and distress and persecution and famine and nakedness and peril and sword. Straight after that, if he said this, No, in all these things that I just wrote about, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. Then wouldn't you think, if if you've seen a bit of Paul, even if you know a bit of Paul and you haven't been here for it, if you've seen a bit of Paul, like this guy would have a clue, wouldn't he? Like if he's going to say that, he'd understand, wouldn't he? Now we left him a a few weeks ago when we last did this, he was right near the end of his second missionary journey. He did three missionary journeys. You find them in the book of Acts. And the second one that we looked at then, Acts chapter 15, verses 36 to to, to chapter 18, verse 22. And you know, if you want to know hard, you want to know hard, you know what he's been through already, what we've seen on his first and his second missionary journey, And then he ends up right at the end of this journey at Antioch. And you can can see it there at Antioch up here. Oops. Would you be able to go back, please, Anna? There it is. Thank you, Anna. That's where he ends up at the end of the journey. Um, It says in Acts 18, verse 23, after spending some time there, that's at Antioch, he departed... And went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. So this is now his third missionary journey. Chapter 18 through to chapter 21. And what do we do when the, when the going gets tough? In church? At work? At home? Check out this journey just so you get an idea of what he did on the the third missionary journey, here it is. And you can, you can see, like, he starts from Antioch because that's where he 
Oh, I've got a flat battery on that. Look at that. My goodness. Sorry, friends. Sorry to let you down with that. Anyway, he starts at Antioch, and you can see where he goes through. And he goes through the regions of Galatia and Phrygia, and that's that, that's you know this this area up here. It's 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 what then was called Asia. And you can see the he goes a few places, but where he goes here, because on the on the second missionary journey he went up to Troas, but here on the first on the third one he goes to Ephesus. I'm not going to be able to point it out to you. But you can see Ephesus. Let's see. No, we can't point it out. See, just under Asia is where Ephesus is. He goes to Ephesus and he, he's been there once before, but it was only just for a day. So he goes to Ephesus and we want to take a look. Now, like if, if you're a, unless you're a star geographer, like I was not at school, then he actually, you'll see, he actually covers a lot of the same ground on the third journey he goes back and sees the people that he's seen before but Ephesus is an exception to that because he goes to Ephesus it's right actually towards the end of his third journey when he goes there and it's it's about three years after he left on the start of the journey and missionary journeys included oftentimes my friends when you set out to do what we would call I don't like to use the term because it's a, it's a cliche and I think we, we easily mix up what it means. But if you set out to do what we might call ministry, so I'm actually doing something that God's asked me to do. If you set out to serve Jesus, if you set out to start new churches, if you set out to pastor them, if you set out to, to lead people like other people did in the Bible, like Nehemiah, leading the people to rebuild the wall around God's city, Jerusalem. If you set out to spread the good news about Jesus. If you set out to do something good, mark my words, you'll encounter opposition. Jesus promised it. It's a battlefield. It's a full-on battlefield. Like, you want to see hard? When you're trying, when you're trying in your life, you're trying so hard to make sense of the, of the hard for you. In your church, in your mission, in your family. When you're a follower of Jesus and you're trying your best, you're trying your very, very best to do what you think Jesus wants you to do. And then when you're facing opposition and hardship and misunderstanding, and it is unfair and it should not be happening. And then when it's not working and when one thing after another goes wrong, What do you do? I wonder if Paul had any inkling of what was coming. On that third missionary journey, the day he walks over the rise, and there's Ephesus in modern-day Turkey. You see the ruins from today. 
Did he know how long he'd stay there? I mean, he'd end up there for two and a half years. And you know, later, after he'd been there, one of the things he'd say is, I fought with beasts at Ephesus. (laughs) I fought with beasts. And later on, he compared that tour of duty in Ephesus. He actually compared it to a battlefield, to a Fairdinkham battlefield. And then he compared himself to a warrior, to a combatant, to a soldier. And then he'd say when he was writing about that in Romans chapter 8, as it is written, here's what it felt like at Ephesus, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And by the way then, it was straight after that that he said, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You know, we turn up, usually we turn up with starry eyes. We want to do something good. Inherently we do. I remember the last church that we were at, after Deb and I had said yes to going there, but before we'd started there. You get that? So we've accepted the call, but we're not there yet. And we knew what we thought was at least a good deal of the landscape. We knew that the former senior pastor who had been at the church and then he had been a pastor at the church for 40 years, had recently retired and after he had retired, the truth had come out that he'd been exposed as having an adulterous affair with a lady in the church It had lasted for 14 years and it had finished about four years earlier. And that that story that I just told you, that's this church we're going to do, that was only the headline. There was much more. And I remember this this guy and, and I kind of just knew him. He was a good friend of a good friend of mine. And he called me one day He had been in this church before. He had left and gone somewhere else before we, like well before we got there. So he called me and basically he was asking me, do you, Jeff, do you really want to do this? (laughs) Jeff, do you know what you're walking into? He actually pleaded with me to reconsider. You, You think Ephesus, Paul coming into Ephesus, I mean, how hard can it be? He would say, years down the track that it was like fighting with beasts it was like being killed all day long like a sheep waiting to be slaughtered using our colloquial term like a dead man walking but then he said in all these things we're more than conquerors through him who loved us more than conquerors that's just one word in the greek language hopernikomen it's made up of a couple of words and i know you're thinking i don't need a greek lesson you don't but Let me tell you, it's made up of a couple of words. Nikao is the first part, and that means to overcome, to prevail, or to have victory. If we put a hoopa in front of that, hoopa in the Greek language means over. So we would say in English, we'd say hyper. So if we put a hoopa in front of that and it becomes hoopa nikao, it's now talking about not just a victory. Talking about a surpassing victory, an emphatic victory. 
preeminently victorious. Or we could say, if we say we're more than conquerors, we're hyper-conquerors. Not just conquerors. We're hyper-conquerors. We smashed them. You know when you, when you say you won, we smashed them. We thumped them. We can't repeat it in church. I thought long and hard about whether to say this or not. We probably can't repeat it. But did, did, you, did you ever like when I played teenage football, you'd get in and you'd win and you'd sing the song in the room after the games? And someone would say, did we win? You know what they'd say back, didn't you? <laughs> Valmo is saying, mm, I know. I know what, your son. Yeah, right, yeah, your son. And you probably told him, as his mother said, you won't talk like that. Did we win? In other words, we didn't just win. Check out this battlefield. Check out this battlefield. Look, he said that after going to Ephesus and fighting with beasts and being killed all day long. Like a dead man walking. How can you be more than a conqueror? See, because if you can get your head this morning with the Holy Spirit's help, if you can get your head around hyper victory, emphatic, preeminent, surpassing victory in the context of knowing not just how hot it was in the kitchen for Paul, but the fact that after that he said we're more than conquerors, then you walk out of here today staggered. That'll change your life. Ephesus, this this place, strange, eager mass of human beings, their interests, aims, methods, they're so totally foreign to Paul's. Like imagine if you went to this place, this is Benares, It's also known as Varanasi or Kashi. Its ancient name is Kashi. This is one of the world's, oh, is it okay to go back to that first slide, please? Thank you. Thanks, Ana. Yeah, just there. This is one of the world's oldest continually inhabited cities. It's a central place in the traditions of pilgrimage and death and mourning in the Hindu world. And that's just one photo. And all the temples that line the river, the the, the brown, the muddy Ganges River. And the vast heathen. Look, just imagine. Do you do this sometimes? I get a photo like that and that's just a tiny little photo. And I think how many people right now would be in the frame of that photo? Not just the ones you can see. This vast population. Can you imagine going to that city? And you think, I'm, I'm going to make a difference? And not have an overwhelming sense of loneliness and isolation? You're, you're an insignificant onlooker there, like Paul was in Ephesus. And the temple in Ephesus? Temple of Diana. Also known as the temple of of Artemis. Actually said to be, and there's the the, the modern day ruins of it, said to be one of the wonders of the world. 
The magnificence of uncalculated wealth, masterpieces of human art, fame of splendid ceremonials, lavish gifts of emperors and kings, attendance and service of thousands of priests and priestesses. This city, Ephesus, has an unrivaled eminence of influence and prestige. And in connection with this temple, there was a huge trade in jewellery, in these amulets and charms, something like these. And it's big business. It's real big business. You know why? Every individual in the vast crowds that came up to worship at the shrine, the temple of Diana, was eager to carry back some little memento of his or her visit. And even more so, if it wasn't just a memento, if it would actually somehow serve as a preservative against evil spirits. And Ephesus, not just the temple, was deeply infected with the black arts of the exorcist and the magician and the professor of secrets and mysteries. And Paul's going there on his third missionary journey. But you know what? All those things that we just mentioned, they weren't even his most active or violent or strenuous or militant opponents. Do you know, history shows us the most vile pushback, the strongest hindrance, it usually comes from within. The Jews in this case, they're the religious. Yeah, they're religious, but they're hardened and disobedient. Do you know what happens over those next two and a half years at Ephesus? Just in summary, he has opposition in the synagogue. You look it up there, it'll tell you how the people were stubborn and hard-hearted. He, he did. God used him to do extraordinary miracles. People just want to touch his handkerchief or, his, or the, coat of his, the, 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 the hem of his garment. They just want to touch him. There's compelling fruit. In other words, things happening as a result of the good news being preached. You read the scene, is it, the, 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 the people all come together and they bring all their, their occultic books and practices and they burn them in the marketplace. All sorts of good things happen. And then, you know, there's a riot. And it's started by Demetrius, one of the silversmiths who makes more than a good living from those amulets and charms. And he's like, hey, if this guy keeps going, we're out of business. <laughs> so, so if you know that, if Paul's in this place for two and a half years, with all of that stacked against him. What do you think? Do you think he was telling the truth when he said, I'm an overwhelming conqueror? More than a conqueror? What do you reckon? You know, it's unmistakable, the answer. He, he writes it, but if you ever looked up his diary, or his journal, he's actually, he's maybe the most pathetic story in the Bible, just about. 
Have you looked that up? His sorrows, his trials. Look at this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. He speaks of himself as a man doomed to death, who's been made a spectacle to the world. For Christ's sake, he's seen as a fool, he's weak, he's dishonored, he's suffered hunger and thirst, his work was scant and it was ill paid, he had no certain dwelling place, he was hated absolutely hated he was buffeted he was reviled he was persecuted he was defamed he was made he says as the filth of the world I mean just take a look back you and I know now don't we I doubt that we have any doubts about how good this man was and yet the religious institution did that to him. That's how they made him out to be, a fool, filth. Not just disliked, reviled, hated. And that's not all, it's, it's not all, that's just a snapshot. Second Corinthians chapter one, he said, we think you ought to know, he wrote this after Ephesus. Dear brothers and sisters about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia, Ephesus included. We were crushed and overwhelmed. And note this, it was beyond our ability to endure. We thought we would never live through it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and 11, he talks then about being pressed on every side. He talks about being perplexed and pursued and hunted down and knocked down. He talks about groaning in his body. He talks about, imagine this, always bearing in his body the death of Jesus. And in addition to all of that, the daily care of all the churches how my friend how how does someone who goes through that how does such a man under all that drawback against all that slander being reviled in that way in the face of such virulent opposition How on earth, how with that pathetic record of sorrows and trials, how on earth how would he say we are more than conquerors? And and what's that mean anyway? Look, because before you think that we're saying that everything turned out well for him and that Jeff's here saying, you're, just, you're gonna be a conqueror. You're gonna win, you're gonna win. As in, you're gonna win the score. You're gonna beat the other team. Well, clearly not all the tumult was silenced. Not all the fires were all put out. Not all the storms, storms were calmed to a whisper. And down the track, do you know how Paul died? Strong tradition has it that he was beheaded. So it's not like a a victory like we think maybe, is it? 
what is it? What, like, what's the victory? What, what, what would be the worst, what would be the worst possible thing that could happen for him? Could it be something to do, something to do with the love of God? And being led by his circumstances to pull back from the love of God, to abandon the love of God, to water down the mission, to somehow be separated from the all-encompassing, all-surpassing love of God. I mean, how can he be more than a conqueror who's facing death all day long, like a dead man walking when they're pursuing him uphill and down dale, when every corner he turns, there's yet one more fighter. Another accuser. A, a, a relentless critic. I have a friend who's a pastor uh, in another state of Australia. Good friend. I spoke to him this week. We speak Pretty much, you know, once or twice a week we speak. Great guy. And I actually know in his church, um, I, I, I don't know the face of these handful of people. Um, I don't know what they look like. But I know, that, I know some of their names. As a pastor there, the relentless critics that he got. No matter what he does. It does not matter what he does. He's got critics. We used to joke sarcastically, you know, during, during COVID. Sometimes I'd, I couldn't resist it. I'd say to him, so how, how's all your epidemiologists there at your church? You know, like these people, just critics. How can, how can Paul say he's more than a conqueror? How, how could I say more? How could you say you're more than a conqueror? When you're trying to do the right thing, but everything's going wrong, and you're facing opposition, uphill and down dale. Here's how, my friend, by, by knowing, listen to this, by knowing that nothing, nothing, nothing can take away or diminish or dilute or nullify or weakens God, weaken God's love for every single one of his children. And that means that if you're one of his children, nothing can take away or lessen God's love for you. Nothing. See this verse, see what he says. Nothing. Look, because earlier in Romans chapter 8, before we're more than conquerors, look what he said. He said, what then shall we say to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ, these rhetorical questions now, where the answer is obvious. 
Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it's written, for your sake we're being killed all the day long, we're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure, he says, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, nothing can take away or lessen God's love for his children. So it looks to me then, what do you think? It looks to me like the only thing about which Paul had any concern was whether there was anything that could ever occur that might cut him off from the love of God. It looks like his only question was, can anything separate me from the love of God? Solitary question. You look at that. Extremes of existence. Death, not death, not life. No, Extremes of created intelligences, angels, rulers, powers. No, that can't. Extremes of time, things present, things happening now, things to come. No, that can't. Extremes of space, height, depth. No, that can't. Extremes of the created universe, anything else in all creation. And you see what that means then is that you serve up to Paul anything you can think of. Chop his head off. And you can't separate him from the love of God. No matter what. Nothing can take away or lessen God's love for his children, friends. Nothing. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that that is true. Nothing can take away your love. And just in these moments now while it's quiet, you might want to just even open your hands just as a, just a symbolic you're open to receive from God his love his love for you and to feel the sense of his love why don't you do that and just in the quietness just feel together now
and all those things where more than conquerors, hyper conquerors, through him who loved us because there's nothing, there's nothing in all of creation that could ever dilute or diminish or water down or change or compromise God's love for us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus' name.